G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Are you courageous? In this episode, we'll hear the story of Naomi and the courageous love of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, as they leave their land of Moab for an uncertain future in Bethlehem. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he begins with an overview of Naomi's circumstances from the Book of Ruth. Listen, I need to jump right in this weekend. We're in this series called There Is More. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth, is in the Old Testament, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Don't worry if you don't have it. It'll be on the screen. As we approach this, I, I really need to ask you to pray a, a, a silent prayer to God that He would help you uh, glean out of this scripture what it is that the Spirit has specifically for you. Now, I say that because there is so much here. It is packed filled with application for our everyday life and living. But if I try to take the time to apply everything that we're going to come across, then my sermon will be even longer than it usually is. And I know you don't want that. And so the best thing you can do is just ask God to help you apply the truths that you're going to learn along the way, which means the Spirit of God then will bring to light things in your life that He really needs to speak to you in this moment, in this time, in this place. And so we come to this powerful narrative in the Old Testament where we're trying to learn, is there more that God has for me? And we encounter a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech has a Hebrew wife by the name of Naomi. There is famine in their land. And so they're going to leave their land in Israel where there is famine and go to a very, very bad place called Moab. Moab is a place where they worship false gods and offer their children up for sacrifice to these gods. Now, let me just take a side note just quickly. Some of you know that I spend some time traveling around to some of our universities. And sometimes a university student will ask me a question like this. How can I believe in your God when I read in the Old Testament that your God had the nation of Israel go in and annihilate entire people groups. How can I believe in that kind of God? And usually I respond by saying, okay, I'll answer your question if you'll answer mine. 
Why didn't God take out Hitler in the Third Reich? And they'll usually say, yeah. Why did God not take out Hitler in the Third Reich? And I'll say, well, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. On the one hand, you're angry at God because he sent the Israelites in to wipe out a people group. On the other hand, you're angry that God didn't come in and wipe out a people group. Hitler and the Third Reich. Which one is it? And the problem is when you read the Old Testament, most of us are under the assumption that when God said to the Israelites, go in and devastate this nation, that they were just kind, compassionate, everyday people that God wanted to annihilate just because they were not Hebrews or did not agree with Hebrew life and culture and religion. But the truth is, as you look at the Old Testament history, these are some very bad folks. They're sacrificing their children on altars. They're raping their own families, women and children. And God sends them messengers to try to get them to repent as Jonah goes to Nineveh, as they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the time comes when God says, man, I have got to stop this general relational age of atrocities or it's just going to continue. Now, Moab was one of these nations that God was so patient for so long, even though they were evil and oppressive. That's why it's difficult in the story to understand why a man named Elimelech, by the way, his name comes from two words, El, which means God, Elohim, and Melech, which means king. So his name means God is king. He leaves Israel, his people, and he moves with his wife, Naomi, to escape the famine, he moves to Moab. Now, friends, that's like saying, things are bad in San Diego, let's move to Tijuana. <laughs> he marries a Canaanite woman who's the enemy of Israel, has two sons, gives them Canaanite names, which you never do as a Hebrew, as a follower of God, Malon and Kilion. So somewhere along the line, Elimelech, God is king, abandons his king, his God, leaves his land, abandons his people, marries a Canaanite woman, Israel oppressors, lives in Moab, a place of demonic influence and dark religious ritual. But the very thing that he and Naomi are trying to escape in Israel, they find in Moab. Tremendous poverty, so much poverty that they are forced to sell the only piece of property they have back in Israel just to survive, which now means they are in poverty with no fallback position. This is it. Things go from bad to worse, and all the men end up dying. Elimelech dies. Uh, his two sons that he gave Canaanite names to, they die. And the only people left are Naomi and her two daughters-in-law that came not from her, but from the Canaanite wife that Elimelech married when he got to Moab. So now, even though she's alive, she's as good as dead. She doesn't have any grandchildren, no land. It's been sold. She's old. She'll never marry again, not because she's not beautiful, but because in ancient civilization, you didn't marry for love or for sex or for relationship. You married for family, to progress the family name. And I think it's interesting that you and I refer to the biblical ancient world as archaic and uninformed. And yet we in the modern world, we're enamored with individualism, aren't we? I mean, we're the ultimate narcissist. Think about it. Our big concern is, what is our next pleasurable satisfaction? What am I going to do today that's fun? Two-thirds of the rest of the world, their main concern is, what am I going to eat later today? Will I have food on the table? You and I think about, what are we going to do later and is it going to be fun? In ancient world, it was all about, not about the individual, but the individual gave up his or her rights for the sake and the benefit of the family. How is this going to produce our family name and progress our family land so that we can have honor in the world? So marriage was 
about expanding your family and you would gain labor through having sons and daughter who will bring honor and expansion to the family name. Now here's the point. Naomi has no sons and daughters. She's got nothing. And any land that she owned has now been sold. No husband, no sons, no family, no land, no money, no assets, nothing. Her life is basically over in her world. She is now going to die in old age in poverty. Then there's a little turn in the story in the first chapter of Ruth. Verse 6, we read that when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So evidently God heard their prayers. God said, enough is enough. He heard, he responded, he supplied. So now Naomi, who's Hebrew, decides to go back to her country and her two daughters-in-law, all right, they want to come with her. They're Moabites though. They came from Elimelech's Canaanite wife. But Naomi is is popular in Hebrew time and culture. She took them in as her own. And because of that, it surprises the two daughter-in-laws and they grow in love with their mother-in-law. So just one more time, I want to mention this. All the men have died and all the daughters-in-laws survived. Don't you find that a little suspicious? (laughs) The names of the two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, they're Moabite women. And they love Naomi, their mother-in-law, their Hebrew mother-in-law. Both Orpah and Ruth want to go back to or go to the land of Israel with Naomi. They want to leave their land. Now, I've got to uh, fast forward a little bit because when they, when they say to Naomi, we want to go with you, she says, no, do not come with me. You don't want to come with me. I mean, I got nothing to offer you. You're a Moabite woman. You won't last one day. And it's not like I'm going to go and find a husband. No one's going to marry me. And then even if I did find a husband, are you going to wait till my kids grow up so that you can marry them and have a life of your own? But the two daughters loved her, Orpah and Ruth. They say, we're going back with you. Now, why would Naomi, if she loves her daughter-in-law, say, don't, go, don't come with me? And again, it goes back to the fact that the Moabites were evil people and they were bitter enemies of the Hebrews. And as soon as the Hebrew thugs, which every nation has them, would see these Moabite women, it would be open season on rape and torture and abuse and slavery. It'd be, it'd be like going to Dodger Stadium dressed in a Giants uniform and sitting in the bleacher area. You, you just don't do that. So out of love, Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, return home. You're, you're young and beautiful. You still have an opportunity to find a husband. Go find a husband Go build a family, man. Restore and build your family name. Because Naomi, down deep inside, knows she's not going to survive. She's expecting to die. She's going to go home to die because she has nothing. But at least she's going to die at home. So she says to her daughters-in-law, stay here. At least if you come with me, you're surely going to die. But if you stay here, you got a fighting chance. Now, it's important if we're going to glean everything we need to glean out of this. we got to understand what's happening here. Naomi has four chances four options, one of which would help her survive. One, she could work in the fields when she gets back to Israel, but she's too old. She can't work. Two, she could get married, but she's too old. She can't bear children. Nobody's going to marry her. Three, her children could support her, but they all died back in Moab. They're dead. Her daughters-in-law won't survive one day in Israel. And four, she could rent the land that she owns for cash and live off that. But Elimelech, her husband, sold the land when they were in Moab to try to survive. She's got nothing. She knows it. She's going to die, which is why in Ruth 1.13, she says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In other words, I got nothing. You at least got something. You got your looks and your, your age. Stay here. 
Mary. And she says later, don't call me Naomi. Her name means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. But then the story turns. Ruth comes back. Now, Orpah does not. She heeds Naomi's word. Ruth goes to the land of Israel with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And when they arrive, they start to glean. Now, what is gleaning? Now, we've used it a few times. It's a little different here. Jewish law states that landowners cannot harvest all the way around the edges. They cannot maximize profits. They've got to leave the last 10% around the field for those who are poor so they can bring one bucket, fill the bucket, and move on. And that was Israel's way of taking care of the needs of the poor. The problem is Naomi can't do this, so it's going to be Ruth. If Ruth starts doing this, she's a Moabite woman. What do you think Hebrew men are going to do to a Moabite woman who starts to glean on their property? And what about the other poor? They're going to say, wait a minute, girlfriend, you ain't Israel. What you doing here? And they're going to send her away, probably beat her or at worst kill her. Now, despite all of this, Ruth, the Moabite, goes to Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, let me go glean. Let me go do this. Let me try to find some food for us. And according to scripture, Naomi agrees. Why? Because Naomi knows it's either this or nothing. You either go glean or we're going to die anyway. It'd be better to die quickly by being killed than to die slowly through starvation. So verse three, so she went out, I'm in chapter two, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out. Uh, don't you love this? I wish we could, a whole sermon on as it turned out. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Who's Elimelech? Naomi's husband that's died. Well, this is a relative. So as it turns out, somebody else is in control. I mean, what are the chances that she goes and gleans in a field of a relative of Naomi? Now, folks, what does, as it turns out, mean? It, it, it means that somebody's working behind the scenes. It means somebody else is in charge of this narrative and this story. And when I think of Ruth's story, I think of Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Out of all the fields in Israel, you chose to glean on this one. Now, Boaz, Elimelech's relative, hears that there's a Moabite woman gleaning in his field. So he goes out because he knows the danger she's in, but he's a good dude. And he speaks. Listen to how he speaks to Ruth, the Moabite. He says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, man. Don't leave this one. Go to another. They'll kill you. And don't go away from this one. You're welcome to stay. Stay here with the women who work for me. In other words, don't glean around the edges. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along those women, the women who are taking the good harvest, not the what's left over. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Most of the time, the women have to get the drink for the men. But he says, I'm going to have my men get water for you to cure your thirst. You... Another sermon, but Ruth the Moabite, which the Bible keeps describing her like that, had to be astounded by the generosity of somebody who had the power to kill her. This would be like a Raiders fan being kind to, to anyone. <laughs> she goes home. She tells Naomi. She brings with her not merely gleanings from the field. She brings the best of the best. And the harvest is running over. This is the difference between what the butcher sweeps off the floor and the rack of meat hanging in the freezer. She brings the good stuff. And I guarantee you that Naomi would have said something like, girlfriend, where'd you get this stuff? And Ruth tells her, Boaz field. And she says in verse 20, she says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Well, how is, he, how is Boaz being kind to the dead? Because Elimelech is dead. 
But Elimelech's wife, Naomi, is still living. He is being kind to her. And then she adds, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. He's a goel, a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Now, what's that? Stay with me, because if you do the hard work, it's fun in the end. In Leviticus 25, when Joshua and the people came into the promised land, all the land was divvied up between the 12 tribes. But God was so gracious, he knew that some of them weren't ready for the land. So through misuse or debt or hardship, they would lose the family land, which means they lose everything. So he made two provisions in the law in order that the families, the children of the families who lost it, could get the land back. Why did he do this? Well, first, God wanted his people to model grace and mercy to the rest of the world. The kind of grace and mercy that would be extended to all people, poor, middle class, upper class, whoever, God's grace and mercy. And second, he did not want the rich to be able to exploit the poor. So what God did, he said, you know what? Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, all the land that the children lost goes back to them. They get a second chance at taking this land and expanding their family name. However, if you have a wealthy relative, you don't have to wait till 50 years. Your kinsman redeemer, your go well, your guardian redeemer, your relative can come in and buy back the land for you. People say wealth is relative. I say, yeah, but it's never my relative. So if you have a wealthy relative, he or she can come in and ransom and redeem the land. Some third party can't come in because they're wealthy and buy up this land and take it out from under you, uh, thus forfeiting your chance as the children of the parents who lost that land to get back the land and restore your family. This is simply a picture of God's graciousness to people, and it was God's way of keeping the family together. God knows if the family is destroyed, so is society. That is another sermon as well. So you can understand why Naomi, she hears this, what? The land that you just happened to go to? God named Boaz, I know that name. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's related to Elimelech. He's part of the family. And then she gets her hopes up, man. She starts thinking, Maybe he can buy our land back. Maybe, maybe we can be restored as a family. Our family name can keep going on. Maybe we can expand our territory. But that would be, one, a, an incredible act of compassion on Boaz's part. He doesn't have a lot to gain. But it would also be costly to him because he would have to go in debt for that land that was lost while he continues to operate his own enterprise. <laughs> Because Naomi's family could not truly be restored because she doesn't have any children. There's no one to pass the land on to. So her husband, along with her children, have all passed. And for the family to be totally restored, then Boaz would have to marry the last member of the family and then raise up children with her. But the last member of the family is Naomi, and she can't have children anymore. Her days of bearing children are over. So if Boaz marries Naomi... All the heirs of his treasures would be to the two dead sons, which means everything would go back to the state and no man's going to do that. But there is another option. You know what it is yet? Marry Ruth, the daughter-in-law who came with her. If Boaz were to marry Ruth, the Moabite, this would give Naomi life and maybe even grandchildren who become heirs, who expand the family name. And We're going to look at this in a moment, but Ruth loves her mother-in-law so much. Imagine loving your mother-in-law so much like this. I mean, this is a lot of love here. First, you left your your home to come with her, and now you're, you're going to marry this dude, and your primary motivation for marrying Boaz, not because you're in love, but because you know it's going to save your mother-in-law's life. And so she does what is quite common in the ancient world. She goes to Boaz while he's sleeping at night, 
She uncovers his feet and puts her head down at his feet. The Bible says in the middle of the night, something startled the man. That would startle you. He turned, he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now, what does that mean? By the way, this is still done in, in a large portion of the world. It means cover me with yourself. Take me to be your wife. Be my husband, my provider. Cover me with your love and provision. Now, I just want to be honest with you and tell you that when Robin was pursuing me, she did this kind of thing. <laughs> what? She did this kind of thing all the time. Uh, you know, we went camping and she came into the tent and she uncovered my feet with a sleeping bag. And she, she would beg me to marry her. Be my, be my husband. Cover me with your love. You are so handsome and I am so lucky and privileged. So in Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, spread the corner of your garment over me for you're my kinsman redeemer. In other words, Ruth is saying, you can give us our name back. You can give us our life back. You can restore us. You can redeem us. You can deliver us. And to show you that Boaz understands exactly what marriage is all about, in Ruth 3.11, he says, I will do everything you ask. He's been to an excellent premarital counselor. <laughs> I will do everything you ask. And Boaz does two things in the story. Number one, he takes on all the family debt, buys the land back with interest. He's paying interest. He's paying monthly payments, but he gets all the land back. And all the wealth of Boaz legally, immediately, automatically becomes Naomi's and Ruth's. Debt's paid and all the assets gained just like that. It's like you go from poverty of wondering if you're going to be able to exist to winning the lottery. And now you have everything. And the life that Naomi and Ruth are going to have now is going to be better than what they ever hoped or dreamed for because of the kinsman redeemer. Now, the truth is the name of this book, though, is not the book of Boaz. The name of the book is the book of Ruth. Now, go back for a moment. Why did Ruth come with Naomi? Naomi tried to get Ruth to turn back said, Ruth, you can have a husband there. You can raise a family there. You could gain an inheritance. In Moab, you've got a fighting chance. If you come to me and with me, you're probably going to have nothing. Ruth's response to her mother-in-law is, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where will I go? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people are going to be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, there's two amazing things here. Ruth is saying, I'm coming with you, and I expect a worse life. That's how much she loves her mother-in-law, Naomi. She offers a sacrificial love, and here's why we're told in verse 16 to 17, she saw something in Naomi's God. May the Lord, and she uses the relational covenant name, not the generic name for God, not Elohim, but Yahweh. May, may Yahweh, the God of relationship, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Ruth says, Naomi, I've seen something in you that inspires me. I cannot turn back now. There's something about your God and your people. Rescue me out of the hellhole of Moab. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Now, can I say to you, some of you have got to get out of Moab. You have got to get out. 
this club that you're in, this relationship that you're in, this job that you're in. Yeah, okay, it's feeding you. You're making some money. There's monetary gain. You're gaining influence. Your peers are looking up to you, but the cost is too great. You're losing your soul. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.